talking about fantasy today it's funny because rank and review is all about genre cinema but horror despite what this season of the show seems to be reflecting we talk a lot about science fiction but we haven't talked a lot about fantasy my good good friend jen sheesby is going to be joining us this episode to talk about fantasy films we have a really tough list in that I think that I find a lot to like in pretty much all of these movies. As usual, you can go into the list expecting there to be some spoilers for the films discussed, as well as some coarse language, at least from myself. If you have feedback, you can send that to me at rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Find the website at rankandreview.ca. And if you like Rank and Review, you have good taste in podcasts. So why not check out Welcome to Riverdale? Or perhaps the Shelf Shedding Movie Show? Or perhaps Cobwebs, a gothic podcast? Or, of course, Saskatoon's other podcast of renown, The Terror Table? Just some suggestions for your ears. Thank you so much for choosing Rank and Review today, and let's talk fantasy. Okay, Jen Sheesby. The last time you were on the show, it was the 99th episode. I believe this will be the 166th episode. And we're right on the eve of you, like, re- relocating to a whole other province. But uh-huh. I like that we have this last, little last conversation on the record for, for yeah. until whenever the next time I get to see you. Yes. And we're going to talk about fantasy movies, which is exciting for a couple of reasons, because in all of the episodes I've done of Rank and Review, like I say, I cover genre, which for me that means like sci-fi, horror, fantasy mainly, but I've mm-hmm. kind of branched out all over the place. Never done an episode just purely dedicated to fantasy. So you're number one on I'm excited. Right? (laughs) And a lot of these you haven't seen, even though a lot of these are considered absolutely classic films. They're new to you. So like... Jen has seen not many movies. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe they won't hit you as as deeply as me. I'll try not to take it personally if that's the case. (laughs) Or alternatively, you'll be like, where is my... 
without this movie you know <laughs> like who knows who knows so that's exciting for me uh how do you feel about fantasy as a genre and like do you have any stand-up fantasy films from your childhood or is it... jen mentions the never-ending story here sorry there was a glitch in the matrix but i watched it anyway and my sister and i would rent it take it back and wait until it was reshelved and rent it and we did that like a whole summer because back then you know it never occurred to us that you could buy it right <laughs> why would we do that you Fancy. can rent it yeah. <laughs> probably spent more on it but so that was one that I just loved because it was this whole other world and especially because it was that book base that Sebastian was reading a book and it was always so that was I was just too was traumatized by the whole horse in the mud that uh, was a horrible thing too thing. yes that oh. was that was too much for me it was I that and E.T.'s every, death. I still cry. Yeah. When, <laughs> when they make E.T. die or make it look like E.T. died when I was a little kid, I, I had this huge breakdown in front of my dad. And he was, like, furious. He was like, <laughs> they, they advertised this movie as you're a bad parent if you don't take your kid to see it. And now I have to explain death to E.T. And <laughs> my it, sister's still scared of E.T. There you go. Because he looks so Terrible. pale. Yeah, he looked yeah. awful. And uh, even though it all worked out for E.T. at the end, that was my takeaway from the movie, was how bad I felt when I thought E.T. was dead. I had a similar thing with my son Tristan when we watched Guardians of the Galaxy. One of the characters in that movie, spoilers, gets killed off (laughs) at the end of the movie. And even though there's like Baby Groot now and all these things, like it's worked out subsequently. He hates that. He just hates that that happens. He doesn't yeah, like it. Know, it's traumatizing like, too. <laughs> that was my thing about the never-ending story. I really liked it, but I would almost avoid watching it because of that kid trying to save his horse yeah, from this, yeah. this, the depression swamp. And then he almost dies. I never understood yeah. that because the whole idea was if you give up in the swamp, you, 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 you drown. And after his horse dies, he just stands there screaming and wailing and crying. Like, if he hasn't hit bottom, <laughs> then... No, he starts to sink. <laughs> Luck Dragon has to come save him. That's right. Okay. <laughs> it's been a while. But that's a very good example, because we do have a couple of proper 80s, well, three proper 80s specimens. In this I love bunch. the 80s. I'm very partial to the 80s. <laughs> well, uh, that makes sense. Both you and I had our formative years in the 80s, uh, you know... Yep. I, I even mean, love the music. Are, here like... we are in our late 20s, Jen. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, like five uh... years ago-ish. <laughs> does, it, does it mess with your head a little bit that it's 2020? You know what messes with my head is that I have a 21-year-old. That, that messes... one really, yeah. yeah. My son just turned 16. I know. Uh, it's... I, I, what? Saying it out loud, it seems more abstract than anything we're going to see in any of My kid movies. is now older than I was when I had her. Oh, wow. That's the mind trippy part. Wow. Like, we joke I about remember that. visiting you in the hospital when you had yeah. it. Right? Like, <laughs> wow, I think we're off the thread. But yes, fantasy, sorry. you're a fan, and uh, we're going to break down. Is there anything you want to say by way of introduction before we, we break down what we're going to nope. talk about? let's jump in. All right, well, here are the six movies that Jen and I are going to talk about. From 1980, this is a significant fantasy film because, A, it's one of the few ones that really attacks sort of Greek-Roman myth. And it's the last Ray Harryhausen special effects movie. The stop motion animation that you see in that movie was very popular in the 50s and 60s, less so in the 70s. And this was arguably its sort of last big hurrah. <laughs> uh, the Clash of the Titans. From Rob Reiner, we have The Princess Bride, a bona fide absolute classic, which I will not hear anything bad said about. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorites. <laughs> From director Jim Henson, Labyrinth, starring David Bowie and Jennifer Connelly. 
conversation to be had there to be continued. Yep. From Heo Miyazaki, Spirited Away. I almost got to see this on the big screen in October. Stupid work taking me uh, away from my... Work, yeah, it takes away all the fun, hey? It also feels weird to pay money to go see on a big screen a movie that I, like, own. But, like, it's a beautiful, beautiful movie to see. Uh, Stardust which is an adaptation of a Neil Gaiman novel. If you like fantasy, you should read Neil Gaiman. Highly recommended. And last but not least, a really weird adaptation of Where the Wild Things Are from a very weird director, Spike Jones. The man who brought us being John Malkovich, an adaptation, takes a whack at Maurice Sendak's classic children's book, which you can read in about four minutes. (laughs) If you go slow. (laughs) Yeah, he turns it into a a 101-minute fantasy something which we will talk about thank you so much for being here thank you for having me metro goldwyn mayer presents clash of the titans the good the evil the danger the daring how may a mortal man face and defeat the kraken Clash of the Titans, the combat, the courage, the splendor, the spectacle. Clash of the Titans, starring Harry Hamlin as Perseus, Judy Bowker as Andromeda, Burgess Meredith, Maggie Smith, Ursula Andress, Claire Bloom, Sean Phillips, Flora Robeson, and Florence Olivier as Zeus. Before history, beyond imagination. Clash of the Titans. Clash of the Titans. Um, I think it helps the context of where you see this movie. My guess is if this was completely new to you, that it didn't ignite your imagination in the same way it did me when I was like seven. No. (laughs) And I can be honest, I didn't watch Star Wars until like two years ago. I'd seen like little bits of it. So when I first actually sat and watched it, it's kind of like this where, yeah, some of the effects are dated. Yeah. I have to stop using air quotes, hey? Nobody can see that. They can't see your (laughs) head. Yeah, they can't see me. Yeah. Uh, so some of the effects, yes, they're dated, but I come from that era, so I can see it, where I think kids nowadays would have a harder time because everything looks so real, right? But For me, this was like pure spectacle as a kid. Plus, uh, I had this book called The Creature Catalog, which was sort of a piecemeal of a whole sorts of different monsters taken from different myths and legends around the world. Just thumbed the hell out of it. And uh, a lot of the monsters were represented for me yes. in this uh, and it's not really a direct adaptation of any actual myth. It's sort of like a piecemeal buffet version of a bunch of these uh, legends and myths. Yeah. Some things tweaked a little bit, I think, maybe to make it a little bit easier. I believe the Cerebus, the three-headed dog that guards hell, and in this case guards the Medusa. Yes. It's a three-headed it's like, dog. But, but this one, in it's, this one two. it's two. But if you're doing stop-motion yeah. animation... Maybe two heads was sufficiently complicated. Yeah, I was like, that was enough. <laughs> the Medusa with the snakes for hair. Uh, apparently, famously, the big problem for that was the flickering firelight in which they decided to set the scene. When you're shooting at a frame at a time, it was really, really difficult to accomplish. <laughs> 
the painstaking, literally one frame at a time approach to the animation, I can really respect. And I do, even though I agree with what you're saying, a younger audience maybe not connecting to it, kind of breaks my heart a little bit because yeah. I think it it's just a worthy, you know, closing the books on that sort of era of special effects. Once upon a time, this was pick your job off the floor spectacle. Yeah. Um, if for whatever reason that doesn't work for you, there's other things that might work for you, though. The, the early <laughs> 80s casting and, like, the big 80s permed hair and, you know, you know, just the way they treat the go- the gods in the heavens or these really beautiful big Hollywood actors and uh, they literally have action figures on the ground that represent the people <laughs> that, they, that they manipulate and I play like about. I, I like that. I like that approach to the gods as mischievous or malevolent in a way like we're just utter pawns to them. They can wipe out whole cities out of spite. The gods yeah. are not altruistic. The gods are not necessarily on our side. Have mercy. No. <laughs> uh, All right. <laughs> Harry Hamlin wants to marry this beautiful woman, but there's a couple of catches involved. Uh, Minor. Yeah. The <laughs> one guy who was originally interested in her has the, been transformed into a monster. She doesn't want to marry him, but a curse is put on her that uh, unless he's defeated or the Medusa's slain, I don't know, it's a little bit convoluted. <laughs> that, I it was something about, yeah. There's a riddle. Yeah, first the riddle, you're right, and yeah. then subsequently he has, he has to get to be, the Medusa head yeah. to stop the Kraken, because, yeah, there's a lot going on here, and if you know your Greek and your, you know, your sort of mythological history, stuff like that, you might get a little bit more out of it, but if you don't, it's a fun, epic, old-school monster movie. Yes. How I does agree. Jen feel about Clash of the Titans? It was funny, just in the beginning bit, with... Like the whole intro scene, and like right away it was like, oh yeah, this is not a recent one because there's a remake, isn't there? Yeah. Okay, so I was thinking it might have been that one, and I was like, oh no, this is the original, original. And I agree, like the gods get presented human, yeah, like more human than you kind of think. Like when you study some of the ancient Greek tragedies and stuff, they're so. They're always done majestically and yeah. whatever. and Altruistic somehow, at least. Yep. There's still some goodness. And this one, you know, he obviously likes the girl. That's why he's protecting her. And his wife is sitting right there. And she's like, uh... <laughs> and doesn't no. hide her jealousy. Is kind of, you know, resigned to it. But has her ways, too. It was kind of fun to see Maggie Smith young. Yeah, for sure. He's like, oh, there we go. Yeah, you can see. And Burgess Meredith. Mr. Resting Pirate Face himself. <laughs> I like that resting pirate. <laughs> I, I, I just love that guy. Because he's like very specific, but like he, he, I've seen him in enough movies. He does actually have quite a bit of range as an actor, but he's got that unmistakable yeah, Popeye just... face. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> but uh, even in like, when the Pegasus comes and they're trying to get Pegasus and it's just some of the spectacle that they use for that. And that's what I can appreciate is how much goes into that trying to get this, you know, the rope around the neck and ride him and break him. Yeah. But not bore the audience either because you need to show that, yes, there's a proje- progression, but it's not too long. Yeah. 
well, but not unbelievable his, either. It's a lot like, of his skills are literally gifted to him more than earned. Like he gets a magical shield and a magical yeah. sword and a magical Ta-da! cape and here you go. You're yeah. a hero. Um, so they kind of skip that. But again, watching it as a six or seven year old, that didn't bother me at all. Let's get to the next monster yeah, fight. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's Medusa going to look like? Yeah. Uh, and that was so that the witches and the Medusa bit, I actually legit found kind of scary when I was a kid. I would see that, yeah. Like, especially when they're, like, passing around the eye. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what? It's hella dark. Yeah. And <laughs> that's the one thing that I like about the fantasy genre is it is dark. And because I've done theater for kids, and that's a criticism that we've had. And we were actually told to tone down some of the darkness because kids can't handle it. And kids it's like, can handle it. Kids can handle it. I'm like, have you read Brothers Grimm? Yeah. Terribly dark stuff, you know, and some of that actually helps them deal with the stuff because you can't shelter your kids forever. And that's something that I kind of like about the dark aspects. And I think almost every movie has that dark side to it. And I like that because it's not, uh, or it is, it's healthier, I think, to have that and see it like the gods not being necessarily on the side they're or they are taken side so but these are the gods that if they if they catch the fancy of a beautiful maiden or not about yep. coming down to earth <laughs> having their way with her <laughs> oh whoopsies i've got a son yeah you know what? Gotta... i'm kind of partial to him too yeah we're gonna we're gonna rig the game for these people <laughs> yeah. now and uh yeah very selfishly motivated and who will send a kraken to wipe out an entire city over a petty difference twice yeah yeah well he tries it <laughs> second time it gets a little bit waylaid as it turns out um there are weird things for the time. I th- I'm almost sure that the robot owl thing, which even as a kid was irritating, <laughs> I, I didn't like it then, was a, a layover from the popularity of Star Wars. For some reason, they thought having a little robotic owl would drive the kids but crazy. But you see that in stuff like Wizard of Oz, there's the TikTok character, and I'm wondering if that's oh, like a steampunk kind Maybe. Of you could be right. Type. It could know. be built into, it could be hardwired into the story. I don't know that. I don't remember anything in my reading about sort of the, you yeah. know, that kind of lore no. about a mechanical owl. But that's certainly... But it worked for them, right? certainly doesn't mean that it's not there. And, I mean, it is what it is in the movie. It's not Jar Jar Binks level, like, uh, <laughs> irritating to me, but it's... It is something that is unfortunate, but if that bothers you, it is more than made up for by the Kraken, which is like sort of King Kong in its spectacle scale for, you know, uh, look at this size of this creature. Also not a Greek um, myth at all. Like the Kraken's supposed to be a giant squid. This is another thing that they just said. Not a giant squid. Hey guys, let's have a Kraken in this. (laughs) But it's kind of like Godzilla. Yeah, yeah, for (laughs) reasons. Not a yeah. (laughs) Because <laughs> why not? The whole journey to uh, the Medusa's lair is actually traditionally the journey to hell itself with the crossing of the river Styx and the ferryman yes. and all of that. Paying your token. Yeah, you're supposed to be going to the underworld, but in this version of the events, it's the way you go to get the Medusa head. So, Which I was like, are they saying Medusa's the underworld? Or? Well, I guess your domain could be the underworld. I guess you could tell yourself that story. Maybe. <laughs> um, I think, is it Harry Hammond, the name of our handsome lead yes yeah i mean he looks the part i i I find his permed hair 80s men with permed (laughs) hair i find it really weirdly hilarious i don't know what it is about it it's just like that flowy (laughs) i i mean 
it's weird because it, it is a very specifically 80s thing in a movie that's like supposed to be sort of outside of time. This isn't a historical number by any means. We're no. talking about myth, legend, fantasy. So like yes. it's not necessarily out of You can suspend our disbelief. Yes. Yeah. But it's like the they did a 70s version of, of uh, Dracula with Frank Langella. And a lot of the dudes had some pretty bad 70s sidebirds going on. And you're just like, ah, 70s. <laughs> <laughs> The movie kind of tips its hand. And not the 1770s. Yeah. It tips its hand, yeah, like that. this is the 80s, and there's sort of the weird throwback look to it. But it's a significant historical film in a lot of things. The sort of TriStar logo of the Pegasus yes. was developed because of this movie. The whole, you know, saying farewell to largely to stop motion animation you'd see little bits of it here and there but never a movie would like completely anchor its effects on this before it's sort of closing the books on that and i think it's a historically significant movie that's possibly more fun for you if you were of the age that it came out in but i would encourage people people who like creature features to give it at least its day in court yeah it's got its cheese it does it does it does but. That's undeniable, but it's it's kind of you can appreciate it. It's not like overwhelming. You yeah. can kind of chuckle. And, uh. it's, it's not hard cheese. <laughs> no, no. Good enough. Yep. I won't always come for you. But how can you be sure? This is true love. Oh no! Is this a kissing book? No. Actually, there was a lot of treachery. Errol. And revenge. Prepare to die. Never go in against the Sicilians when death is on the line! <laughs> there were affairs of state. But I've got my country's 500th anniversary to plan, my wedding to arrange, my wife to murder, and Gilda to frame for it. I'm swamped. And affairs of the heart. My Wesley will always come for me. Your Wesley is dead. I've seen worse. Bye bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. It's more than turning. What's the difference? We've got him. Think it'll work? It would take a miracle. Goodbye. It's a story of love, a tale of adventure. It's as real as the feelings you feel. I'm kissing again. Someday you may not mind so much. The Princess Bride. Not just your basic, average, everyday, ordinary, run-of-the-mill, ho-hum fairy tale. The Princess Bride. Um, Rob Reiner went through a ridiculous run of movies, especially early in his career. He did This is Spinal Tap. He did uh, The Short Thing, which is uh, maybe not as fabulous a lineup as the rest that will come in a row, but it's a romantic comedies go completely fine. The Princess Bride, Stand By Me, Misery, Few Good Men. He just had this like run of ridiculously good movies. The fact that it's kind of all gone to pot late in his career is unfortunate, but he gave us enough great movies early in his career that as far as I'm concerned, (laughs) all is forgiven. We'll just (laughs) focus on those. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I forgive you for the bucket list. I guess I forgive you for North. I'll forgive you almost any crime, especially because of how much... He still could have a good one coming. Yeah, it could happen. You never know. But I I love The Princess Bride. William Goldman adapted this from his own novel, which uh, famously 
Uh, he wanted to write something that his kids could read. A lot of the stuff that he'd written was much more adult-oriented. And he asked his daughters what they would want to read about. And one of them said a princess, and the other one said a bride. <laughs> all right <laughs> all right that's what we're doing and uh the book's actually significantly different when i finally got around to reading the book than the movie like this is not even a cole's notes some of the characters are there i guess the basic arc is there but the experience of the book is different enough that i can encourage you to check out the, the book but the movie is something yeah the movie is something really special though because it's all about the tone of it it's sweet but not so sweet that it, it gives you cavities no it's not saccharine uh, at all it's a kid's movie but it's t- something that can be enjoyed by anybody of any age um there's stakes to it but you're not terrified by it at any point it puts a smile on your face it keeps a smile on your face and then kind of alley-oops you at the end at least for me quite emotionally with the whole business of peter falk and as you wish. Yeah. <laughs> would you like to talk about the Princess Bride? Oh, <laughs> would I? Honestly, it's one of my top, I'd say, three movies that I've always loved. Like, when I saw it, I fell in love with it. And every time I watched it, I loved it more. Like, from the soundtrack. The very first CD, little tidbit, very right. first CD I ever bought before I had a CD player was the Princess Bride soundtrack. Nice. Loved it. When I first saw it, it was one of those, I think I was almost so overwhelmed that I missed like tons of it. But there was like the funny elements, like the bacon, lettuce and mutton sandwich, you know, (laughs) Billy Crystal's whole thing and Carol Kane with her, get back, I'm not a witch, I'm your wife. That's like my favorite. (laughs) And Andre the Giant, which when I first heard that he was in this, it was like, that's a WWE guy. Like, what's he doing in there? And but he's lovable like it's like he's yeah why wouldn't you cast him he was for me it was a good casting not one that i would have picked like if i were to have gotten the script and was thinking of people to cast probably would never have thought of him right but i like it and in a way it's almost like they seem like this ensemble cast it looks like they're having fun like that's what i like is through the whole film it's like the actors you can almost see a glimpse of they're having fun doing this and and you have fun watching off. it then. Um, Mandy Patinkin oh, yeah. and Carrie Elways did that sword fight. There was yeah. a doubles for some of the acrobatic moments, but the actual sword play, those two actors actually did. And they're playing the parts of two of the best swordsmen in the world, so the action's yeah. got to try and back that <laughs> up. Uh, just I, know, gonna... I mean, both phenomenal actors. Oh, really, for sure. Like... I'm just going to back up to do yep. the plot really quickly. There Wait. might be one or two sad people out there who have not seen The Princess Bride. <laughs> Even I, I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, Jen's seen it, everyone's seen it. Yeah. Fred Savage, homesick in bed. His grandfather comes with a gift. He opens it up and is nonplussed to see it's a book. Yeah. And even more nonplussed when he has to turn off his lame video game yeah. and listen to his grandfather read him his book. Yeah. And slowly but surely, he gets sucked into this romantic tale that includes adventure, pirates sportsmanship betrayals and um he falls in love with the story just like we do and yeah the we sort of cut back and forth between peter falk's narration of the story the occasional interruption from the kid we get a little it's almost like we get commentary from the quote modern era of 1987 or whenever (laughs) the movie came out yes so it's this lovely back and forth 
And I think part of what makes the movie magical is that all of the characters are weirdly likable. Even the villains are weird, weirdly likable. Like, yeah. Chris Sarandon as Prince Humberdink yeah. is a complete shit through the whole movie. Like, he's an <laughs> asshole. But there's something ridiculous and charming about Prince Humberdink. <laughs> Christopher Guest, who plays the six-fingered man, yeah. and who's the torturer who loves torture, yeah. there's something about his relationship with the Chris Sarandon character. Like they, they genuinely care about each other. There's a warmth between <laughs> yeah. these two evil guys. How's your day going? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you don't have your health, you don't you have anything. Vicini, yes. <laughs> um, Wallace Shawn, this guy uh, who's got yes. this like very brutal, malicious plan to leave the princess slain on the shores of the enemy. You know, land to <laughs> start, start a war. To start a war because war is good business for everybody. And this running gag that everybody wants this war to happen. Everybody's like conniving <laughs> to make this war happen. Uh, but even him, like, you, you like him in his own way. But it's not devastating that he dies. But it's no, like it's kind of funny that he dies. Yeah, it's, he goes out with laughing. laughing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a strange pitch to keep for a movie, and I think that it's a pretty singular thing that this has. Well, and the fact that she's not an obedient woman, and that's what I liked about the whole character, because she could be, like, typically a princess, even if they're a bit heroic, isn't that obstinate, and I think I related a lot to her, because it's like, nope, if you tell me to do something, I'm doing the opposite, right? And that's pretty much her. And you want a guy that you can just boss around and who will just lovingly say, as you wish, do whatever. <laughs> Clip my toenails, as you wish. Yes. It would be nice. Right? <laughs> <laughs> just that exists, that's the fairy tale there. Especially if it's Carrie Elway's. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't complain. <laughs> the sad story of the Andre the Giant, as far as Reiner was concerned, he was the only guy who could play the part. The part called for a giant yeah and when you thought giant well who do we know is Dondre the Giant <laughs> Dondre the Giant there you go but in spite of the fact that he's playing this incredibly strong individual he was incredibly fragile at the time like there's a scene where he's supposed to catch uh, the Robin White Wright character she's like 90 pounds soaking wet at the time right yeah he had to have a harness like to support her and his back and yeah. things like <laughs> throwing the rocks anything the the whole physical thing that he was really largely cast for was very hard for him to do Hmm. uh and then there was the impediment of the language uh he has a very thick accent and i think over the many many times i've seen the movie i've attuned to his voice i understand what he's saying yeah but i'm sympathetic to those who have a hard time understanding him the first few times they see the movie yeah but I think that the, they execute the character. In a way, the fact that he has the accent sort of gives him another layer. Like, you know, he's not from around here. Hence, he is such a big, gigantic yeah. figure, you know? He's the big guy. <laughs> but I like how Mandy Patinkin's character is so nice. Like, when Wallace Shawn's character is all like, you know, do this, do that, do that. And yeah. Please don't yeah. yell at me, Miss Seeley. Yeah. <laughs> and leans in and wouldn't want any... Harm, you know, yeah, and the throws game. him the little bone. Yeah, let's do some rhyming. Yeah, he's being a dink, yep. but we can have our little fun because you know right away this is going to drive him up the wall. So you know, a little <laughs> poke there, and I quite like that because you see that bit of the character stuff. I appreciated the understanding of children in the movie. We're going to talk about this with some of the other movies that are kind of in a way kids movies I think The Princess Bride is really for everyone movie but it was sold at least partially as a kids movie but 
I have two boys, and even at, at 12 and 16, when things get getting a little bit too romantic in a movie, the blankets come up over yeah. their heads. They don't yeah. like it. Oh, this is gross. <laughs> I don't like it. And I love that this movie calls it on it. Like, Fred Savage is like, what are we doing? What is this? Yeah. Is, is this there a, kissing? Is this a kissing book? <laughs> yeah. are, are you tricking me? <laughs> like, <laughs> And, like, the fact that the whole movie stops to have that conversation and then that, that it pays off at the end of the movie yeah. when they go for the big kissy finish and Grandpa decides, you know, I better not yeah, read that. No, you don't want that. You know, no, that's okay. That's okay. We've earned this one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, mine. It's all right. <laughs> Robin Wright, who had been working on, a, I think the soap was Guiding Light. I'm going to say it was Guiding Light. If I'm wrong, somebody can write me an email and, and yell yeah, what an idiot I am. <laughs> Uh, and she was like, I mean, I'm not going to feel sorry for her. She's a working actress, so let, but she, she was ready to get out of that. And this was her, you know, ticket to Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> she still gets work and today. She did. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, she was in the new Blade Runner. They did a sequel to Blade Runner, and she's in that. Okay. And I'm always happy to see her, but I'm sure it would bother her as an actress to hear it, but it's. There's a little voice in my head that just says "Buttercup" whenever yeah. I see it. <laughs> <Princess> Buttercup. <laughs> uh, Mandy Patinkin is apparently a very difficult actor to work with, but I love him in this movie. Like when I was a kid watching this movie, that was the character that I absolutely connected to. Like uh, you'd think it would be the swashbuckling yeah. man in black, but like I really got behind the <laughs> blunt simplicity of yeah. his of his revenge. Yeah, <laughs> revenge. My father was killed, and I am going to find the man who killed my father, and I'm going to kill that fucking guy. And I don't care how long time yeah. it takes. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. And the you know rep- repetition. My name is Enigo Montoya. Yeah, you, you killed, killed my, my father. father. Prepare to, to die. die. That was something that was echoed around my house all the time growing up. Yep. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's an immortal movie. It's one of the things, like, I forced my kids to watch when they were probably too young to appreciate it. And then forced them to watch it a little bit later on when they appreciated it a little bit more. And I do think, you know, I bullied them into liking. Yeah. <laughs> my kid likes it, too. I was like, you're going to like this. <laughs> is this in Goonies? And both of them, she's... Yeah. Oh, and Adventures in Babysitting. And she ended up loving them loving all. Loving those, right. Yeah, uh, I had a similar thing with uh, Back to the Future with Owen. Uh, we, we had a good time watching Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Ooh, and he's yes. really into time travel. So I'm like, oh, time travel. Yeah. Back to the Future. He was resistant. He was resistant. I finally blame him to watch it. Well, he, he yeah. loves it. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Even though the dude almost makes out with his mom. Anyway... <laughs> I'm gushing, and I'm gushing over The Princess Bride. I mean, like, I don't know what more I can say other than give you, like, a play-by-play of all my favorite scenes, which is basically every scene of the movie yes. in order. I can keep, yeah, <laughs> I can talk with the thing. You know, like, even the garbage of refuse, bow down to her, you know, and the whole, like, why are you saying this? Yeah, that, that strangely, you're right, creepy witch dream that she has. Yeah. <laughs> works. The absurd priest who uh, officiates Mowage. the wedding. Marriage. Marriage is what Together today. <laughs> to his father when she's like, I'm going to kill myself tonight. And he's like, that's nice, dear. Yes. She kissed she me. She kissed me. <laughs> yeah. And I love the absurdity of it all where it's like, yep. That there just is happened. darkness okay. to the movie, but the darkness is always delivered with a smile. Uh, when I was a kid, my favorite sequence of the movie was the whole business of the fire swamp. Oh, yes. They had to like figure out the three dangers of the fire swamp. 
Yeah, rodents of an unusual size. Yeah. For me, that's what we waited through all that romantic stuff for, so we could have a giant rat fight and the fire bursts and everything like that. <laughs> but, like, it delivers across the board. Like, I can see kids of all ages connecting to it. Like, you, like you said, Goldman wrote it for his daughters, but I was a young kid, and I got into the adventure aspect of it, too. Yeah. Because there's still the adventure. And as a girl, like, some of the adventure movies were a little bit too... Yeah, geared not... towards boy, but this was one. Yeah, I like the adventure part because I still like adventure. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the princess to win too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, like we talked about, Christopher Guest is the guy who really enjoys torturing him, and this whole device that he has—it's going to suck a year of his life yeah. out of it. But that it's all treated academically. He's taking very detailed notes. Yeah. <laughs> Please, for posterity. this is for posterity, so <laughs> do be honest. <laughs> like, it's a torture scene, but you're giggling yeah. all the way through it. No matter what they're showing you, you're giggling all the way through it. And then they get you right in the fields at the end, when yeah. the little kid asks his grandpa if he could come back tomorrow and I read know, him again. Man. And grandpa says, As you wish. Which has been... It's funny because As You Wish has been both a funny thing, but it's also that sad thing. Right. You know, and... It's a this too shall pass type of thing. Yep. <laughs> be it good, be it bad, this too shall but pass. But you can say it and people know. Yeah. Automatically. I love... The other three words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love The Princess Bride and uh, I will watch it again. I will hopefully watch it with my grandkids at some yes. point. It is... It's full-on classic, and it's one of a handful of classics that Rob Reiner made. And it has consistently, like, there's always something that I see different and be like, you know what, I didn't quite notice that. And <laughs> I love movies that do that, but it's like, I've seen this easily 30 times. And it it's rewards. kind of like, oh, hey, you know, or, or you just get something a bit deeper. And it's, well, that wasn't just a throwaway line. Yeah, that was oh. actually a joke. And that's just it. Like, there's so much that it's it seems throwaway, but it's so intentional, and you kind of, oh... How did I miss that, you know? As far as I'm concerned, it's the fantasy movie of the 80s. And the mm-hmm. 80s is the era of fantasy movies. Yeah. So I, I, I put weight on that statement. Yes. Together, they will take you into a dazzling world of fantasy and adventure. There's nothing to be afraid of. A world where anything seems possible. And nothing is what it seems. Everything I've done, I've done for you. I move the stars with no one. The world of Labyrinth. I love the Muppets. I love Jim Henson. I love Jim Henson's Muppets. I love the Dark Crystal. I love all the Muppet movies. I love Labyrinth. Here we go. It's another love fest. <laughs> but there's something different about Labyrinth. And I'm really, I hope I'm not making this weird for you, Jen. But this came out right in the middle of my childhood. And like, we played imaginary games on the playground. I'm not like these kids today who are always all in their devices. We were playing Star Wars, we were playing Indiana Jones, we would even play Labyrinth from occasion, but there's something different about Labyrinth. 
I didn't want to pretend to be a character from Labyrinth. I wanted to pretend to be me in the Labyrinth with Sarah. <laughs> when, we played, when we played Star Wars, I would want to be Han Solo, right? When we played yeah. Indiana Jones, I would want to be Indiana Jones. But if we're playing Labyrinth, I wanted to be hanging out with Sarah yeah. and helping her figure out this I'll Labyrinth. I'll be your friend. <laughs> and uh, it was like I was too young to clock it. But fast forward to like 1993, and a movie comes out called Career Opportunities with Jennifer Connelly, who gets locked overnight in a Walmart or something with, with, with this nerdy character. And it all clicked into place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> I really had a crush on Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> Why? And it's funny how like that... Like, I always loved the movie, but that extra deep layer of it didn't, like, fully, like, click into me. <laughs> like, there's a bit of maybe a sexual awakening connected to Labyrinth, and I'm, I'm sorry to just hit you with that, Jen, okay. but it would feel dishonest to not acknowledge <laughs> Coincidentally, my sister was obsessed with David Bowie, so maybe both of us found this to be, you know, something of a catalyst. <laughs> But between the puppets and between how dreamy I found Jennifer Connelly <laughs> and me genuinely finding some of the songs catchy, um, which I'm usually musical resistant even when I was a kid, <laughs> but I like dance, magic dance, and I like the fiery sort of bit. This is an epic sort of story about a, a young girl wrestling with becoming an adult and having to put away childish things. And it has surprising depth to it, I think mm -hmm. because... It is written by Terry Jones, the late great member of When Monty I saw that, I was like, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> they hired Terry Jones to write the script, a Monty Python alumni. And once you start peeling back the layers to that, there's all sorts of stuff cooking yep. in Labyrinth. It's not, it's not what it seems, this, this, this seemingly selfish girl who's asked to babysit her, her little stepbrother Toby who won't stop crying who <laughs> wishes him away to the Goblin King the Goblin King which obliges, many a parent I'm sure has done uh, I think we've all been there yeah. I think we've all stop been there stop crying <laughs> I will wish you away yeah. to Goblin King I don't even like your mom <laughs> yeah. but yeah she's got given a claw, like a, a set time she has to solve this labyrinth and it's full of all sorts of these colorful characters and puppets and monsters and riddles and she has to find her way to the heart of it defeat the Goblin King get her brother back but what she's really doing in essence it seems like is defeating her childhood and yeah. and letting go of her childhood and there's another movie we're going to be talking about later on that's very going to be sort of zeroing in on this sort of thing and you know if you want a movie to make me cry this is the kind of thing that will usually will, will do it for me labyrinth doesn't make me cry but it, it rings that note it makes me remember when i was a child and you know sort of want it back yeah there's that nostalgia that is like ah oh, yeah. i remember that <laughs> and uh i get it every single time i watch labyrinth so mm -hmm. this is another one of the ones that's just personal to me there are other movies we're going to talk about on this list that are objectively better than labyrinth that are going to rank below it because i just love it yeah and see this came out and we didn't get to see it my sister and i or maybe she did i didn't and I think part of it was a dark crystal came out and was so dark right. that I think my parents were scared that it would be too dark 
because I was a little bit of a sensitive child. <laughs> and that's probably the nicest way to put it. And so I didn't get to watch it. So I've heard some of the songs like, who? <laughs> that, uh, the babe, you remind me of the babe. What babe? <laughs> I don't even know that part because I've heard it how many times, but I didn't connect it. And then when this came on, ah, this. now I get it. That <laughs> makes sense now. But so to see it as an adult, it was like, oh, I got the nostalgia, but in a different way, because it was kind of, I wish I would have seen this when I was a kid. Cause right. I could see the stuff that it was like, oh, I would have loved that. I would have totally related to the Jennifer Connelly character that it'd be like, oh my God, I want to be Sarah. And, you know, when she was doing things like smart, like taking the lipstick and marking the arrows and like, see, she's going to win. Had a girl. <laughs> and then, nope, she's not because they flipped it over. Her, yeah. well, that doesn't seem fair. Why is it all the bad guys get all the best weapons and defeat but that's one of the themes that gets run when she keeps on saying it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. Life's not fair, bitch. Yep. And, <laughs> and that's a recurring theme for coming out of childhood. Because that's, that's right. what I always got told. You know, when it's you're not a fair. Kid, it's not fair. If you complain, someone fixes the problem for you. When you're an adult, you complain. That's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> You've just complained. And you yeah. can sit in that complaint. Too bad. Yes. It is too bad that you just bought a car and then you crashed it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's such a rich cast of lovable characters. Like, there's a lot of one-scene role puppets. The little earthworm in the wall that gives her directions is just adorable. Yes. The old guy who has a bird hat, who's, like... <laughs> who falls asleep Yeah, the guy keeps through. falling asleep, and the bird hat is like, here we go again. Um, Ludo... <laughs> you should give us something. Ludo is this magnificent, huge puppet, who was my favorite as a kid, but... As I've grown up, my favorite character in the whole movie is a little guy called Sir Didymus. They meet him in the Bog of Eternal Stench. He's guarding the bridge to get out of it. <laughs> and he has a little dog, Steed. He's like a dog who rides another dog. And he's a very noble knight. And yeah. I just love his character. He kind of reminds me. He has the personality of my old dog, Woofus. He's just <laughs> kind of a dick, but lovable at the yeah. same time. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, can we have your permission? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Well, yes, that's the whole fight they have. No one can cross this bridge without my permission. Epic fight. And then everybody stops. Wait, wait, wait. What, 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 what are we fighting over? Yeah. I love it. Um, and, like, I think Terry Jones tapped into some real good stuff that kids will, will get that, but adults will appreciate it, too. The yeah. Bog of Eternal Stench is objectively <laughs> just a big farting swamp. But the kids Farts are funny. Yeah, the kids can get behind that, and the yep. adults can get it. This is an obstacle; they don't want <laughs> to fall smell. in that. Right? Exactly. Bad smell. But you know that kind of humor in another kids movie would would not agree with me. In this one, I think it's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about it just a little bit before we pressed record, but there's this revisionist history, like look back on the movie that there's a creepy pedophilic kind of angle, yeah. and that there's a not-at-all-subtle romance happening between the Goblin King and Sarah. Um, I don't buy this complaint of the movie because I do think this is all a fantasy. Yeah. I, like, I don't believe we're supposed to take any of this literally. I believe she's a 16-year-old girl who likes the idea of someone who looks like David Bowie obsessing over her and creating this world for her and creating yeah. this adventure. All of this is about but her. But there's still that mysterious aura because i think as a young woman coming into their own men are confusing right, right. so there's that 
not a dangerous aura, but there's always that, like, girls like the bad boys, right? So there's that. But she wants him, but she's yeah, she, scared of him, yeah. right? So that dichotomy And he's is... unknown, so there's that danger aspect of, I don't really know what he wants. And the My favorite scenes when I was a kid, when an adult changed, but my least favorite hasn't. My least favorite sequence of the movie has always been the crystal ball sequence. Uh, where she goes in and dances in the masquerade ball with David Bowie. It feels like the movie just stops for that sequence for me. Even as a yeah. kid, I felt like, like yeah. we need to get on? to the Goblin City. What are we doing with this? Yeah. I, though I love the sequence in the garbage heaps that happens immediately following that. I really, yes. that's, that's one of the better creepy moments because she ends up back in her room for a second or so she thinks. And then she realizes all of her collection, all of her toys, all of her books. But I like that they're turning crap. her into that garbage collector. They're yeah. literally piling it on her like they're wearing all their shit in yeah. their back. They're burying They're her. starting to do that with her. Yeah. And it's her realizing, do I want this? This isn't important. And that's when you remember, right, Terry Jones wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, ah. <laughs> Surprising that. <clears throat> yeah. And creepiness, the fiery characters I mentioned, those red sprites who can pull off their the, eyes and, and their pull ears. off their heads. Yeah. Like they and, just throw body parts. Why not? Hey girl, <laughs> like, your head don't come off. Of course it doesn't. <laughs> and that's what I mean, that dark aspect that it's like because at the first like two seconds of the song, all of a sudden they're ripping off the arm and they threw it in the fire and I'm yeah. like Did I see that? And yeah. then oh no, his head is off. Yeah. And he's throwing it to the other guy. Okay. <laughs> it's what they do. <laughs> Why not? I can suspend my disbelief. You but know? there was something really crazily creepy about it. It wasn't that I was scared of them, but there was something... Well, and she climbs up the wall, but the heads are able to popping. fly. Yeah. One of them swallows like, its own eyes, and then the eyes pop, pop back, back into on. his After sockets. he's poked them out with his fingers? Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's, that's, a, that's a little crazy. That's a little crazy. <laughs> Maybe don't try that at home, kids. <laughs> So this whole vision quest or whatever that she goes from to get Toby back and then, you know, she wakes up and Toby's there and she's calmed down and she's going to be a better sister and she gives Toby the, the toy that he wanted. Mm-hmm. Was it a cop-out, do you think, at the very end to show all the puppets in the room basically saying they're there for her if she needs them? I mean, I mean maybe the kids needed that, but the adults didn't. Yeah. I would go with that, like, because I think as a kid, you need that, it gives that safety net, right? If I can grow up, but they're still there. Yeah. I don't have to be surrounded by them. I can get rid of all those dolls on the wall, but they're still there if I need them, which I can see. But as an adult, it's like, you know what? Sometimes you got to suck it up and get rid of it all, right? And at its heart, it is still a kid's movie. Like, it, yeah. a lot of the movies are talking about sort of earth the line between fantasy and children's movie. But these, I think they learned from The Dark Crystal that if they go too dark with this puppet movie, they kind of lose their audience. The adults think it's a kid's movie and they don't show up. The kids find it too scary, so they yeah. don't show up. <laughs> yeah. And then you lose money. Unfortunately, initially, this movie lost money too, but it, mm-hmm. in subsequent years, it's become such a cult item. I have to assume that everyone's made their money back. And whoever did the costuming for David Bowie, like that is what I think when you hear Labyrinth, even without having seen the movie, yeah. you picture Bowie with that like crazy hair. Yeah. But it's not really distracting tight, here. It's whatever. very no, 80s. No, but it's it 80s, but it's, fits. it fits that the Goblin King would 
have that 80s vibe. And it has the Jim Henson world and that, that handmade thing with not just the beautiful characters and the puppets, but like everything that you see on screen, except for Jennifer Connelly and David Bowie was made by yeah. somebody, you know, yeah. who cared, yeah. who loved it. And there's such, like even when she first walks into the labyrinth and you can see the little like sparkles or whatever and it's like yeah, somebody has yeah. it's so finely crafted and it's one of those things where i would love to actually see this set yeah be like okay because you know that it's got to have extra extra it has a little percentage of that uh, princess bride humor in it too there i remember a sequence where hoggle and, and sarah are walking through this dark corridor and there's all these uh, stone statues that are telling them beware, beware yes. <laughs> and uh, Huggle tells them to shut up, we know yeah. where we're going you don't have to do yeah. it, but they're like oh, but that's our job yeah. we, we've been, we we've been waiting here for so long like okay, okay fine go ahead dude we're not listening <laughs> <Yeah>. though <laughs> I get that <laughs> I'm going to say it anyway that uh, was one of my favorite parts of this week, <laughs> yeah and the again, you sort of piece together the the fantasy element from Sarah, like that she's connecting with Hoggle, and that the Goblin King is weirdly jealous of that. The fact that yeah. Hoggle is Sarah's friend, and I guess that's the role that I wanted to play when I was a kid. <laughs> you wanted to be her Labyrinth. friend. I wanted yes. to be Hoggle, who got to you know you know. Connect. And she kisses him. She kisses Huggle. And, <laughs> and Huggle, gets him to the swamp. Huggle disappoints her, but then wins her back. And yeah. they have a, a, an emotional connection. I really like Jennifer Connell. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I find sometimes when they cast younger girls, they're clearly younger girls. But she doesn't read as that. Like yeah. She reads as a younger girl like she's supposed to. But there's a maturity about her that I like too. Like You can tell that she's struggling. You can tell that it's... It's not an and easy thing to do a special effects no, no. movie. And but. it's and it's not overacted. Like it very easily could have been like way too far and when you look you kind of cringe. Well, but it doesn't do that. Like she she plays it very straight and I, I quite liked what she did with it. I've watched a lot of Jennifer Connelly's work, I'm gonna admit. And the, the, uh, <laughs> The that young, does not surprise there's me. a lot of movies she did before this. I think actually Labyrinth is a dividing line where she kind of upped her game from being a child actress to actually being like a decent actor. And then she jumped it up again for like Requiem for a Dream about 10 years later or whatever it was, where she kind of went from being the pretty kind of girl in peril role to like, oh no, she's, a, she's an actress for reals. Yeah. Um, but she kind of got there. She went from like model to child actor to proper actress to yeah. you know Oscar winner so and you know I was always cheering for Jennifer Connell <laughs> yeah but you do like there's she's likable even though like at the beginning when she gives up her stepbrother to the Goblin King which is kind of not a nice thing to no, do no <laughs> but you get it you're not like I, I wasn't going enough like, teenage eh. girls to find that absolutely credible <laughs> absolutely I was like you know what I am actually getting annoyed. Like, shut the kid up. Yeah. Thank you, you did. That might have been a bad choice. You're going to be in trouble from your stepmom, but whatever. That sequence, too, accomplishes something that I just love. When the goblins first come to take Toby, we only see glimpses of them in the background. And when she turns to see them, they hide so quickly that she never sees them. We do. And yeah. as a kid, that fucked with in any given room, there could be goblins, but they're always so good at hiding yeah. that no matter how I've quickly you it. turn around, you're going to miss it. That got in my head. I didn't like that. Uh, again, for the second review in a row, I just have to sort of give up and say, 
I love Labyrinth, and yeah. I don't really understand people. I who regret don't. not seeing it as a kid. Like right. that's definitely watching it. That's what I was thinking. Is I would have loved like I like this movie, but I would have loved, loved it. it. Yeah. Fair. Now let's go back. You shouldn't be here. Get out of here now. What? Leave before it gets dark. You've got to get across the river. Go. I'll distract them. Don't be afraid. I'm Master Haku. No! I just want to help you. No! In worlds seen and unseen, where spirits are transformed, <laughs> and sorcerers rule, which Ibaba controls you by stealing your name. If you completely forget it, you'll never find your way home. Your name belongs to me now. One girl's future depends on her judgment. Aren't you getting wet out there? I'll leave the door open for you. Her courage. It's Haku! He's hurt! Remembering one thing above all else. I want you to know my real name. It's Chihiro. Walt Disney Studios presents a Studio Ghibli film. Experience a magical movie phenomenon. Embraced by all the world. Let's go! So here's an interesting pick. Um, I not too long ago did an anime episode dedicated just to films, you know, uh, named it more of an adult audience, but uh, I'm sort of trying to broaden my perspective. But when I made that list of movies, I said to my friend Eric, no Miyazaki, because I'm familiar with Miyazaki. Spirited Away is Miyazaki, and it might be his very best movie, in my opinion. These are the really good ones, the Princess Mononoke, Howl's Moving Castle, there's a, there's a good handful, Grave of the Fireflies, if you ever feel like spending a night crying into a towel, you can watch Grave of the Fireflies. <laughs> um, he makes beautiful animated movies and has been making them since the early 80s, and uh, once they found their way to this side of the ocean, like I got a taste and I started mainlining this stuff. <laughs> What I love about this movie, it's sort of an, another one of these Alice in Wonderland templates where the little girl has a lot of growing up to do and she does it in a maybe imaginary <laughs> adventure that takes yeah. place. We can decide how true or not it is. That aspect of the movie is very familiar. Mm -hmm. But the details of this Wonderland that we find ourselves in, I have not seen anything like this no. anywhere, ever. Can't compare it to anything Honestly, it's going to be hard to even describe. <laughs> like, yes, I was like, this is definitely on its own little... It's its own little world, for sure. Like, Chihiro's a little eight-year-old girl. She's being moved, much to her chagrin, away from all of her friends to a new life and a new place. And her parents get a little bit lost on their way to the new house and stop at what they believe is maybe the 
construction of a new theme park or the remnants of an old theme park. They're not sure. They go in. They don't see anybody working there, but they find a banquet has been laid out. And mom and dad just decide to chow down. But Jahiro, she smells a rat. <laughs> she goes around exploring, and by the time she gets back, her mom and dad have been turned into pigs. And I love that commentary. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> hmm. it turns out this whole area is a bathhouse, as they call it, or a, a vacation spa for the spirit world. And she can't be caught as a human there. It's not made clear what will happen to her, but nothing good. Nothing good. Yeah. <laughs> and don't so get caught. <laughs> she gets helped by this other individual who plays more into the show, as we find out later on, uh, and is told to go to the basement level of the bathhouse. And she basically has to work away from the bottom of the bathhouse to the top of the bathhouse, secure herself a job at the cost of her own name. Yep. She's called Sun afterwards, and she doesn't remember Chihiro. Part of the key to getting back is remembering herself again. Um, and yeah, she's put to work. And we see basically her getting her job, then the first few days on the job, her going to visit her parents who are pigs, and her trying to ingratiate herself with the powers that be uh, to try to and solve them, it. Yep. And in the middle of all this, there's an amazing subplot and adventure with this entity called No Face. It's an, an epic meal of imagination, and uh, my kids really liked it, but I think adults might even get more out of it than the kids. The kids will appreciate the light show. Everything works out for Chihiro. It's not like a brutal, you know, yeah. dark heart of the... <laughs> she doesn't learn horribly, yeah. horribly bad right. lessons. But... Uh, it's so rich and so dense and so everything. And what love, I like, love, though, love. is like watching the one character that's kind of helping her. You still have that whole thing because she's so leery at first. It's like, okay, wait, can he be trusted? Right. I'm not really sure if he's helping her. Is he helping her or is he not? Right. And there's a few characters that it's like, okay, are they actually helping or are they not? Yeah. Well, and I kind of like that. For him, because he is a river spirit, as we find out. He recognizes her, and part of recognizing her is a key for him to remembering who he is. Yes. He had once saved her when she was a little girl and fallen into a river, and he remembered that act, and that connected them. Um, so, yeah, just by the description, I think you can tell there's a lot a lot of fat to chew on in this, in this movie. I do want to talk about this no-face creature that, that she lets in. She's kind of responsible for it, but it seems to be this being of raw need. Originally, it seems consumption. You think it just can't be satisfied by food, but it connects with her. It connects with Sun or Chihiro and yeah. wants to make her happy. And whatever it's trying to do, it's trying to do to ingratiate itself to her. And it's interesting because for a while, No Face becomes quite terrifying. Yeah, I know. It goes from being okay to it's like, oh, wait, that's getting a little... Okay. Uh, and yeah. I, I like the idea. He's wearing a mask of a face, but he doesn't have a face of his own. And the only noises we really hear him making is this, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, this want, this yeah. raw want. And whatever that is seems to be distinguished by just hanging out with this girl. When they go on that weird, beautiful journey together in the train car, and they're just sitting together. and Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, what? I Wait, what's going on? I don't know what I'm watching, but There's I love it. There's a few it. times where it's like, I'm not sure what's going on. But I love I it. Missed a, I missed a step here, but yeah. And it was, that's what I like though, is like all of a sudden, yeah, they're on a train. 
okay. Yep. There's Why a bit of dream I'm, logic yep. here. It's just like we yeah. skipped a needle <laughs> yeah. somewhere, but okay, let's just keep we'll going with it. follow it. And, but I like that. And I mean, even the character where like the twin, the kind of bad mother. Right. Ani <laughs> Baba. The, with the, the yeah. And then her twin is kind of helping as well. But they're both like kind of helpful, but kind of not. And I like, I think I was always drawn to stories like that as a kid that, okay, is it a good person or a bad? Because I'm the type of person and anyone who's ever worked with me that we've watched movies together, I want to know who the bad guy is from the get-go. Tell yeah. me who it is so want... I know because I don't want to like him yeah. or her. <laughs> that I, I have to not like them from the start. And right. the older I get, I know that people are complex. So I like the characters that are. And it's a as I'm getting older thing, I like it when it's like, okay, there's that, not off-putting, but there's something different about that. Like, you might be helpful or you might not. And some of the characters were very much like that. And I like that you're never 100% sure is that helping or is that a good guy or bad guy? And like, no face, I, I didn't really know because, yeah, he's so drawn to her, but they're all terrified of him. And it's like, get him out right now. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> like, absolutely everything shuts down, like high alert. And it's like, okay, why? Obviously, there's something going on, but yeah, the, the, we're not picking it up. And she's kind of just like us, going, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, just let a dude in out from the <laughs> just rain. Let him in. And now yeah. he's like, oh, it's a fixated with me. I think Ani Baba, though, the witch woman who's sort of in charge of the bathhouse, her little lair is especially strangely Lynchian, like David Lynch could have directed the sequence. Yeah. The three bouncing head bodyguards babysitters that are there what the fuck's that whatever they are yeah the baby that's the size of like an elephant that rolls around in all of these cushions i think is kind of a terrifying concept like uh something with the mentality of a baby but with that much strength and power behind it could really like be a dangerous (laughs) thing and And how she coddles it like she goes from being so bitchy to being like (laughs) oh to the little like uh dust creatures that she is is encounters yes. first that's sort of like coal dust that that, yeah. that has come sentient briefly to help fire the furnace yes all of the characters are so rich the guy who works the furnace has all these huge long tendril arms that operate everything yes. just <laughs> uh, every character is seems so richly imagined and like i just go back to the beginning like i said like you may have seen the template of a, a child who's goes to escapes to an imaginary place to learn and teach themselves a lesson and grows up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yes. You have not seen this movie, though. Nope. <laughs> you ain't in Oz. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, no, like, but it deserves to be compared with Oz, yeah. with Wonderland, with, like, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, like, this completely new world. And I love because it's not the Canadian or American world. And I mean, oftentimes Canadian, American, we kind of intertwine. And that's what I liked was it's like this whole different cultural thing that it's like, oh, okay, you know. No, it wouldn't occur to anybody on this side of the, you know, planet to to do a a children's movie about a a child being forced into slave labor at a bathhouse for the spirit world. That just wouldn't occur to anybody to do that. (laughs) What's a bathhouse? But I mean, like, it out, it out crazies Labyrinth and like, bravo. Yeah. Woo. (laughs) So for adults and children 
and children of all ages, basically. Yes. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I've done a little bit of short shrift on Spirited Away, but I, I just don't know what else I can say other than just, to gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's so different because there's not, like, some of our movies that we'll watch over and over again, like some of the Eddie's ones, they're kind of cliche yeah. sometimes, and you can guess what's going to happen. This one, I had no idea what was going to happen next. Like, None. And the and fact that they had to walk through water to get to the train and like things like that, that it was just... A timeless quality to the movie, too. There's nothing about it that's going to age creepily. Even yeah. like The Princess Bride, as much as I love it, the synth score to it kind of yeah. dates it a little bit yeah. in a way that otherwise it wouldn't be. I think that you could watch Spirited Away today or you could watch it 25 years from now and you'll get the same experience. Yeah. Epic fantasy for all ages. I just, yeah... This is a tough list. It is. You're hearing like, a lot of love yeah. from me so far. I know, like... <laughs> is that good for Spirited Away, though? Uh, I think so. Okay. I have a surprise for you. Victoria, for your hand in marriage, I'd cross oceans. You're funny, Tristan. Oh, Tristan, a shooting star! I'd cross the wall and I'd bring you back that one star. You can't cross the wall. Nobody crosses the wall. Have you seen a fallen star anywhere? We're in a crater. This must be where it fell. Yeah, this is where I fell. You're the star. You're the star? Really? Oh, wow. You've seen stories of magical worlds. <laughs> wicked witches. <clears throat> flying pirates. And dashing princes. But never has there been an adventure quite like this. Everyone's talking about a fallen star. When I find her, the glory of our youth shall be restored. This is the part where you tell me who you are and why you're up here. We're just trying to make our way home. Touché. You better be telling the truth, you two-faced dog. I can get you one of them, actually. Very good guard dogs. They can watch the back and the front door at the same time. Enough. Where's the girl? You have seconds to live. So it seems like I have a personal story to go with a lot of these movies. <laughs> Would it surprise you to know that I have a personal story that goes along with Stardust? No, does it involve Michelle Pfeiffer? It does not. I wish oh. to say that it did. <laughs> um, my wife was pregnant with our second child when uh, we went to see this movie in the theater and we knew it was going to be a boy but we were trying to figure out what the name was and she brought up Tristan as a name but I had this negative association with Tristan because this is how much of a movie nerd I am <laughs> Brad Pitt's character from Legends of the Fall was named Tristan I just didn't like the association <laughs> I Fair. thought that Legends of the Fall is one of the most overrated movies of all fucking time <laughs> they wouldn't have it so I kind of vetoed it but then the main character of this movie was Tristan and he saved the day and he got the girl back and Lauren and I were both charmed by the movie and I thought well maybe Tristan's not a, such a bad name I softened on it a little bit <laughs> so this movie might have been responsible for naming my, my, my son. The way Finding Nemo was responsible for naming Owen, Stardust <laughs> was responsible for naming Tristan. That's a whole other story, but we don't have time for that one. 
It's an adaptation of a Neil Gaiman novel. I'm a fan of Neil Gaiman. And it's directed by this guy, Matthew Vaughn, who I'm increasingly a fan of. He's had a lot of success lately doing these Kingsman movies. Mm -hmm. And he does really good... He's known for amazing, elaborate action sequences. He did a... Uh, an R-rated, pretty hard action movie with little kids called Kick-Ass. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> yes, I've see, seen it. There you go. So <laughs> he makes energetic action movies. This is a little bit different from him in that it's it's less like hard R and more sort of straight fantasy, but you'll see it. There's a, towards the end of the movie, a sword fight between a puppeted corpse, for instance, and all of these <laughs> witches. Uh in true Neil Gaiman fashion, it is both archetypical, like a fantasy story that you feel like you've seen before, but it's so full of rich details that it feels fresh. Yeah. In this town of Wall, this young man uh, wants to impress this young woman and promises her that he's going to fetch a star that lands beyond the wall. And he ventures across the wall, which is guarded by this hilarious old man. We can get scared <laughs> into that. And he searches out this, this star to bring back to his love and finds out that the star, as it hits the earth, has turned into Claire Danes. And this complicates things for him in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> uh, and it's basically a journey movie, much like the other fantasy worlds that we've explored. We get to know this world as he gets to know this world. We get to meet a bunch of characters. Memorably, Michelle Pfeiffer had come out of a bit of a retirement uh, from Hollywood. She raised her kids and, you know, mm -hmm. was away for about 10 years or so since we'd seen her on the big screen. And she shows up as this witch who uh, wants to get her hands on the star as well because this can rejuvenate her and her sisters to be young and beautiful again. On top of that, these princes are on a race to get this same star yeah. and claim the, the throne. Everybody wants this star, Claire Danes. And Charlie Cox was the guy who got there first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's basically the story. Like, he's got to re return the star and, you know, of course he's going to fall in love with that. And how's it going to play out? Yeah. And really... If I'm honest, I have one complaint, and it's a small one. <laughs> would you guess what that would be? <laughs> like, it's it's Robert De Niro. Really, uh, yeah. and I loved him. <laughs> well, I like that he's playing against type. Like yes. he usually plays these macho hard asses, and he's like presented as this hardcore like steampunk pirate that collects the energy from lightning and storms and this flying and pirate ship and he's all macho man but whenever he gets a chance and he's in his quarters he becomes this sort of mincing you know uh stereotypical gay man yeah and he used to show up on saturday night live doing variations of this sort of you know <laughs> i'm um, gay see, and I didn't because know i'm gay i am funny and it, i don't think there's anything mean-spirited about it i don't think no. it's like the 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 He's, you know, consciously making fun of anybody, but it was very easy. It was very lazy. It sort of felt yeah. like the one element of the movie that, like, I... I it's funny, but it's a bit shticky. On the nose, 100%. And yeah. they, they, they spent their whole Robert De Niro on that gag. Yeah. You know? And for me, the, all of the other corners of the movie were so creative. Like, I love the whole the brothers who are all competing for the throne as they're slowly getting killed off they're ghosts 
are watching <laughs> yes. this and they're providing commentary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How'd that go for you? Yeah. And yeah, making fun of the other ones as they're slowly being killed <laughs> up in the race to get this. That was my favorite part. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all of the other details were more interesting than that. I mean, I, I don't mean to make a big deal out of it. I'm not like wagging my finger. No. I'm not a social justice no. warrior or anything like that. It was just the one part of the movie that felt easy. Yeah. Because it's funny, but it's also... Shtick. It is. It's shtick. Nothing else Completely. really felt like shtick in yeah. the movie. And it was kind of like... Yeah. <laughs> they could have cut that, and it would not have changed yeah. what I thought of the movie. Like, it didn't add to it at all. But overall, where do you land on the movie? I, I know where I am, but... <laughs> I quite liked it, because I like the... And this is my age speaking, now that I'm over 20. The whole throwback of wanting that youth and that beauty and it, it is a big thing so for an adult watching this yes I can totally relate to the witches <laughs> who knew that <laughs> yes, I suspected it, yeah. it Jen I, sus- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I usually do but it's even more now it's like yeah that wanting to stay young and beautiful and not you know being able to and the whole when she starts realizing oh my god I'm like Slipping, yeah, and the whole um, I'm trying to remember how it went because there was that cart, and her his mother is involved somehow, and it's like that whole realization and the fact that the, his love interest all of a sudden in such a likable person is like okay, you want to bring the star to her? Are you sure? Right. Think this one through. Like, yeah, the that is one another sort of one of the templates. We we don't like the woman that he is trying to woo necessarily no. because he's going to fall in love with Claire Danes yes. because she's Claire fucking Danes. Yeah, <laughs> why wouldn't you fall in love with her? Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> like that. And but like his love interest from the get go is quite bitchy to him. So it's kind of why are you working so hard to impress her? Like yeah. really? Well, he wants <laughs> to play the role of the heroic. Yeah. You know, romantic lead. And so maybe like, more in love with the idea of being in love than. It might be a little bit person. of a comment on that. And when yeah. he first gets the star, she is just an acquisition in a lot of ways to him. But of course, through the peril of the adventure, yes. they bond. Oh. Again, this is familiar, but the, this is the field that fantasy plays in. It would be like complaining in a horror movie about the monster eating another character because that's yeah. what happens in these movies. Yeah. You guys. <laughs> but they, they deal with it in a different way. Like, it's predictable, but it's not. It's kind of like, oh. And they play with I the like idea, idea, like the witch turning, creating the inn for the guy to go into, just out of parts that are available. There's a goat, so she turns the goat into the innkeeper. So the innkeeper <laughs> has a lot of goat-like affectations. Yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. I was like, that is perfect. <laughs> and nobody really picks up on it. Right. They just kind of roll with it. Okay. I mentioned the old guy who... Uh, guards the gap in the wall and how seriously he takes his job <laughs> he doesn't look like he's got some some, some fight in him but he, he, he's got some game yeah. <laughs> it's like out of nowhere and i just love that as a conceit from like the, the the imagination of neil gaiman this town is called wall and its thing is that there's a wall behind the town and you're not supposed to go beyond it and that's their job is to guard the wall. Yeah. And, and no, nobody no other, questions no, it. And, yeah. and the rest of the world doesn't question it, but it's a key into this whole magical realm that we just have to accept. Yeah. And because it's Neil Gaiman, we do. Yeah. Okie dokie. 
Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you liked him, Coraline. I don't know if you know Coraline. He wrote the I know novel I that, that was I have based not off it. of. Um, I really like really like the stuff he's done. There was recently an adaptation of Good Omens, which was a novel that he wrote with Terry Pratchett, which was okay. really lovely. Um, they have Francis McDormand playing the voice of God in that show, which is I like it. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it definitely checks all the boxes for me. Uh, I, I think I said it in the other films. Is there a lot new to the specific notes of the adventure? No. But each individual corner is sort of colored in a very specific and charming kind of winky way. Yeah. That, that, that you can really get behind it. And there's a lot of celebrity spotting to be done here and there. Ricky Gervais shows up for a little while, his little cameo. And um, a lot of uh, actors who have sort of come up. Mark Strong, who plays the villain, the sort of the main adversary. Uh, at the time this movie came out, not such a big actor these days pretty high yeah. profile yeah it's like oh wait <laughs> uh even that charlie cox guy he ended up playing daredevil in the netflix series of daredevil which was um amazing combat stuff <laughs> that they did in that so um it doesn't have the same love around it that a lot of the movies that we've talked about have and i'd like to think if it came out in a different time that it would i think we're living in an age where it, things like the Princess Bride are a rare, rare thing. We're so hyper-saturated with content. The amount of movies that come out in one calendar year, yeah. you know, it really will be time that sets the ball to, like, or sets the right what, what's going to stand out, what will be remembered, because it's just overwhelming. Yeah. I think Stardust deserves to be mentioned in the oh, same absolutely. notice as these other ones. There are people who maybe disagree with that, or maybe it's too soon to, to lay that card down, but like... No, I think it's it, it's holding its own. Yeah. For sure. And uh, again, I think kids can get behind it, mm-hmm. but I don't think the adults will be bored. No, at all. not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> There's something coming around every given corner that will put a smile on your face. Mm-hmm. Like I said, if the least interesting thing about this is watching Robert De Niro prance about in a dress, like, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty good. We're doing pretty good. <laughs> I didn't want to wake you up, but I really want to show you something.
So the first thing that I would say about where the wild things are is that it's not a kid's movie. No. Even a little bit. I get that it's based off of Morris Sendak's novel, or novel, it's a children's book. Like I said, yeah. you can read it in five minutes. Um, but it's it's more a movie about childhood, about children, and about growing up. And it's directed by Spike Jones, the guy who brought us Being John Malkovich in Adaptation. And um, it it's a tough movie in a lot of ways. Like, of all of the movies that I saw here, this is the one that probably hurt the yeah. most. I remember seeing it in the theater with my wife, and it was kind of unfortunate because there was a lot of kids there, and the kids weren't into it. So yeah. there was a lot of kids running up and down the side aisles, kind of like distracting the, the viewing experience. And the parents seemed to be split between people like my wife and I, who had tears in our eyes and just thinking this is like the most like melancholy, (laughs) beautiful thing that we've seen in a long time. And the other parents who are mystified or bored by it saying like, who is this movie for? And as much as I do end up coming on the side that I really like where the wild things are, I am completely sympathetic to their perspective on the film. Like I would understand someone saying, what the fuck? Right? Well, because when you read the book, and that's what you're thinking you're going in for, like, this cute little story. This is not cute. No. It's not cute at all. And that's that's what really struck me is how gritty it was. And it's I mean, tough. like, when they're throwing, like, clumps of dirt at each other, I'm like, okay, I would be nervous with my kid watching this. Cause don't do that. That's a bad <laughs> idea. Like, and he's old enough to know that that's a bad idea. Yeah. But they do it, you know. And the way that they're mean to each other. And, I mean, there is that in childhood that kids can be really mean. And they don't take out that grittiness where if you're reading the book, like the book straight is like, I'm going to eat you up and it's cute. And or yeah, this wasn't taking seriously the kid's world, not just yeah, the world no, of his exactly. imagination, but like kids have to take in a lot of tough information and just sit in it. There's that kind of over the top scene in the classroom where the teacher's going on about these are all the possible ways that humanity's going to go extinct and eventually the sun is going to go out and then it just sort of it, it, <laughs> it, it hits him on the, the face. Kid. Yeah, like, it's like uh, the teacher says so, so that must be true. No one else is going crazy with this information, so I guess I shouldn't either. But yeah. that's a bitter that's... little pill that you just dropped casually into my ear. Yeah, <laughs> right? and the whole snowball fight where the he's bullies. trying to be—he's trying to be tough and he's trying to be the big kid. And I—I I know I've been that, and I've seen my friends be that. Like, because I had a lot of male friends growing up, and. Yeah, got to be tough and whatever. And when he takes one and it's too much yeah. and trying not to cry. And like that almost made me cry there because it's like this poor kid, you know, he's oh. trying to trying to grow up and he wants to grow up, but it's not easy. And this movie had me by, emotionally like it just had, it had me by the short and curlies. Like I was almost crying for most of this fucking movie for some reason. And like even revisiting it, it felt like a Coen Brothers movie to me because every time I watch it, I feel like I get a little bit more out yeah. of it. And of all of them, this is the most dark one I found. Like the oh, most sure. dark where it was just like, okay, there's little light moments, but this is more consistently dark where it's like there's that danger. Like even the wild things in the they're book dangerous. in the book they're wild. wild but here yeah they you could get hurt like yeah. they 
this actually could go bad they for show him. bones yeah. of other creatures that <laughs> yeah. these things have eaten <laughs> yeah. this could go bad yeah, <laughs> like you, you're not really safe little max um, just in case someone doesn't know the story uh, yes max has a temper tantrum uh, gets sent to his room without supper runs away gets in a boat sails to the land of the wild things becomes king of the wild things decides he needs to go home when he gets home his supper's waiting for him that's the yeah. entire book that's the book this 101 minutes is about the death of your childhood <laughs> okay <laughs> And the way we talked about it in Spirit Away and like uh, Princess Bride, where the, the, the kid's sort of commenting on the stuff that he's seeing as he's wrestling with all of this, um, this movie takes it head on and does the gloves are off. They don't sugarcoat it. No. He feels betrayed by his mom. Usually he can even interrupt her at work. They show him like bugging her while she's trying to get work and she stops everything she's doing to write that cute little story for him. Yeah. And then. But when she won't do that for him a few scenes later and he feels betrayed, he lashes out yeah. in a way over the top, but believable kid way. Yeah. And then it gets out of hand and he runs away. And when he sees the wild things for the first time, what are they doing? I, They're destroying their own house. Yeah. They're destroying their houses, which is exactly what Max felt like he had just done. And the fact that they build it, but they don't, like they rebuild but not with as much heart right it's like they kind of half-ass it yeah. it's like we'll build it but it's not done until they build the gigantic yeah. fort which is amazing yes <laughs> yeah. again we talk about little details of the movie I was so moved by the big cuddle puddle pile that they all slept in the yes. first night. I was like, I want to sleep in that Which pile. Which was unexpected because they're so not nice to each other. Yeah. Like, they are not nice to each other. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, nighttime. Yeah, we're all just going to lay in a big <laughs> just, pile. Yeah, for warmth. Because uh, we destroyed our houses, so I guess it makes sense. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's strangely claustrophobic for Max at first, but then he kind of realizes that it's comfortable. It's revisited later on when uh, he... He, the Lauren Ambrose creature hides him in her mouth that one scene and it's that all, one was like what yeah <laughs> did she just eat him and it's so creepily <laughs> claustrophobic and he, when he's in there long enough you could tell it's starting to get to him and it was getting to me too yeah, it's like, uh, it's like that wasn't in the book <laughs> and can we talk about the voice cast by the way that they got to do these oh. creatures Chris Cooper uh, Catherine O'Hara James Gandolfini in just an utterly heartbreaking role as, <laughs> as like the lead character, Forrest Whitaker, Lauren Ambrose, like uh, Paul Dano, all of them amazing. And uh, Spike filmed all of the actors like just you know in their their, their regular clothes and and mapped out everything that they were going to do. And they did do a walkthrough of everything and performed it. So when they got to the sets, the people wearing the suits had the actors voices in their ears so they knew that they That's got the timing. That's a neat way to do it, yeah. Uh, and even at that, they later augmented the, the faces of the masks digitally mm. to give them more detail and expression than, than they had originally. Because they were phenomenal. Like, oh. just... <laughs> they looked exactly like the book and yet real and yet terrifying but scary. and yet yeah, lovable. Like, and it yet... took the book and made it that dangerous and it 
And they didn't shoot them easily. They were often in dark or in campfire light or like the angles were a little bit off. Very rarely did you get a direct on look at the wild things. They sort of kept their mysterious thing. There's an awesome scene where Max wakes up and he's being carried by the James Gandolfini character. And and you get this sort of, I don't know how it's accomplished, but you you really get the sense of a feeling like you just woke up with Max. And what are we doing? What's happening now? (laughs) (laughs) Got to reorient myself. Um, I do really love this movie, but it's in a list of movies full of, like, movies that I love. So I'm I'm wondering if where it ranks on the list is not going to be as reflective as how much respect I have for the movie. Yeah. I think if there's a problem with the movie, I don't know if that it's a problem necessarily, is that the audience might be a lot narrower for this movie than it is for a lot of the movies that we've been talking about. Because it's definitely not a kid's movie. And I know that it was almost billed as that. Yeah. Because... I seem to remember some kind of controversy because people were bringing their kids and it's like, yeah, this is not a kid's movie. So I can like, I agree. It maybe should have had a different rating or something so that it wasn't. It's kind of devastating yeah, emotionally like for me. There's a scene towards the end of the movie when Max decides he has to go home and he says goodbye to the wild things and James Gandolfini, and maybe it's added because since the last time I saw it, James Gandolfini has passed away, he howls yeah, in despair like just... at the at the departure of Max. And for me, he was like howling in despair for all of our lost childhood. Yeah. It was just like absolutely heartbreaking. I, I just like couldn't believe it. And like... It's still, all these years later, it's almost 10 years old, that movie already, which is crazy to think about. Um, It still works for me. That said, it's not going to rank as high on the list as I would like it to. Yeah. There is something about the movie that is a little bit work. Watch the movie. Oh, Um, absolutely. But it's not going to leave you like like Princess Bride leaves you feeling warm and happy and in a joyful place and yeah. and Labyrinth kind of does too and and you can have an old golly shucks jeez that was a nostalgic <laughs> good time with Clash of the Titans this movie is going to show you the childhood that you forgot and then it's going to take it from you yeah and then <laughs> turn it a little bit <laughs> I have such immense respect for Spike Jones, the director. I've seen a lot of the music videos he's done, which have impressed me. He did another movie subsequent to this called Her with Joaquin Phoenix, which is very interesting. And I'm happy and excited to see anything that he does. Mm-hmm. Actually, on the Blu-ray that you get of this, there's a short film. I'm pretty sure he directed it. I hope that's right. Uh, he did with puppets and with the voice of Meryl Streep and Forrest Whitaker adapting another uh, Maury Stendak. <laughs> story and just that alone it was a nice little addition to have but I go back to where I started with saying like this is not one that I would just recommend to anybody there's certain people who I know would like this type of you know looking at your childhood movie or this would appreciate the filmmaking and the, the technical feat of the movie yeah. but my kids aren't ready for this movie I think this is no. more for a 40 year old than it is for a 14 year old and um I'd like to think that it will find its audience. It didn't do as well as it could because I think people had that reaction to it. Yeah, Who is and they're this thinking for? kids' book. Yeah. It'll be fluffy like the kids' book. And if a kid movie hits, it's because the kids love it and they want to come back and see it again and bring their friends and la 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 la. Yeah. Like I said, I'm sure either the kids were upset by the movie or bored. Like I said, there were a lot of kids 
running in the aisles when yeah. we saw this in the theater. <laughs> I'm the wild thing. Yeah, and, and like there was a bunch of, uh, you know, cranky kids coming out of the theater, and then Lauren and I walking out of it half catatonic. You know, <laughs> yeah. just like what did we just what, watch? What, what did we just take in? <laughs> like this is an adult, almost art film. Maurice Sendak, by the way, completely endorses the work. He hmm. says that like. He, he had a lot of options to like get this movie made because he knew Spike. He decided, well, at least if someone's going to wreck my book, it's going to be a person I like who wrecks <laughs> my book. And he said he really, it exceeded his expectations and that it thematically complements the book. Yeah. Obviously, it's way richer than the book could possibly be. David Eggers, also a novelist, helped him to adapt it into the <laughs> screenplay. For the record... Uh, for the record, Max Records is yeah. the name of the kid who plays Max, uh, which seemed fate that yeah. his right name, and he's not an actor. They searched the world to find a kid that they thought was Max, and they got this kid, and they sort of finessed a performance out of him, which is doing it the long way. Apparently, yeah. this was a really long, very difficult shoot between mm. getting the creatures right, getting the kid's performance out of him, like the voice wow. work was recorded and done and then like four years later the movie came out wow. right? it was like <laughs> it was a long journey to get this made but I hmm. feel the love in it oh yeah so when you hear it ranking lower than the rest of these on this list please don't take yeah. it as me it's saying nothing personal yeah it's not me <laughs> saying that this is not worth your time it's not me even saying that I don't love it it's saying like it hurts me. <laughs> it hurts me. And because it hurts me, I will revisit it less. And I maybe enjoy it a little bit less. But it doesn't mean that I don't appreciate it or respect it. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say? I feel like I kind of mowed over you on this one. No, that's okay. I'm, I very much agree. And I, it's funny because when I first heard it come out, I was expecting it to be like the book. So I'm kind of glad it wasn't because it is a whole different take. And I like it when it's not like, because I can read the book anytime. It could have been so really like, shrill and ugly. Yeah. Like, as much as I'm even a defender of some of the more Dr. Seuss stuff that they've done recently, if it was full of very modern winky jokes or the creatures were farting a lot or whatever, it was, yeah, exactly. if it was this obvious pandering thing, I think I would have been disappointed. No, this was like true to let's like take it like the gritty side of Max and make it real. And like when he runs away, me as a mom is going, oh my God, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, did you look trauma, in your neighborhood? Trauma. No. Catherine Keener is really great too. She doesn't have a lot of scenes, but I think she does no, a great job. No, but she job. does a fantastic job and really gets that, you know, because parents get frustrated. Yeah. And like they both, I really like the kid's performance too. So, I mean, he did a good job and I, I totally... I can respect Spike Jones even more, knowing that he's finessing that out because that's tough. Yeah, like he does—he's one of these directors. He doesn't come out with a movie every year. It's usually yeah. every five or six or seven years, <laughs> even. But it's worth but it. Yeah. When he comes yeah. out with a movie, I am interested. Yeah. <laughs> he's not producing some of the light, fluffy shit in the yeah. meantime. No. Turning out, yeah. But that said, I understand a, a kid who really loved that book, who was excited to see the movie not liking the movie and me as an adult not being able to explain to that kid yeah wait 20 years yeah you'll get and it watch it again you'll get it and yeah. you will love it as much as you love the book yeah
Thank you so much for being here, Jen. I really appreciate it. And uh, maybe we can figure out Skype. Maybe we can get another one in. I think from, we will. BC. Yeah. Uh, either way, please let me know when no, you're or in when town. When I come back, yes. When you're in town, I mean, I, I not realistic that you'll be able to fit in a, a, a podcast necessarily, but. I want to check in with Sheesby. I feel like like <laughs> we go back so far that like I, I I need to keep tabs on Jen. Yeah. Just every now and then, see where see where she's at. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you know, the last creative to leave Saskatchewan. Please remember to turn the lights out. <laughs> uh, Jen, what was your least favorite of these really, really fun, I think, strong fantasy movies? And that's why? that's just it. I want to preface it all with these were very strong. I was like, thanks, Larry. That's really tough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to rank them too? Yeah. The least favorite would have been Clash of the Titans. Fair enough. And it's more just my style of movie. And that's solely what I'm basing it on. It's, and I like greek roman mythology and stuff but surprisingly i like some of the other stuff better right it it definitely does feel like of a different era more than the rest of the movies we talked about and it felt a little bit more charlton heston-y yeah for sure yeah is that his name did i make it up charlton heston well he's not in this movie no but uh, that's his name right I was like, yeah. did I just Charlton make up Charlton Heston a... is a guy who okay. did exist in the world. That is a guy? Good. Planet of the Apes? Soylent That's Green? what I thought. I was you like... blew it up. <laughs> I don't know. I'm in perimenopause. I make stuff up in my head all the time. Okay. Next would be Stardust. Okay. And I thought it was very fun, but I like some of the other ones better. It's just in a tough crop of movies. It's in a very tough crop. Like, these all would be very high ranking anywhere else. Next would be where the wild things are, and you're right that it pains me. It feels like it should be higher, but between where the wild things are and then Spirited Away, Spirited Away was just that little bit different. Right. And there's joy in it. There's, there's joy. Yeah, there's it was like where the wild things are. Melancholy. It was like so. Oh, <laughs> like because you can't say you enjoyed it. <laughs> like, I loved it, but it broke my heart. I needed to take a minute after. It was like. I have to go for a coffee or something. Yeah. I don't smoke. Maybe we should start. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Second would be Labyrinth. Nice. And I very much, very much wish I would have seen that. Like the entire time I'm watching, I'm like, ah, oh, I missed out not seeing this when it came out in theater. Like, I think I would have absolutely loved it. Probably been a little bit scared, but I also would have felt bad. I know I mentioned before off with the chickens because Jim Henson always has chickens. Like yeah. poor Camilla. <laughs> They always get punted off. I think he connects to Gonzo more than any other character. (laughs) He's known for Kermit, but he wants to put the wood to those chickens. Yeah, poor chickens. There's always chickens. So my number one is Princess Bride, and it's real hard to move it from number one. That is not a controversial decision. (laughs) Uh, It's funny. I couldn't remember. I thought that you'd said you hadn't seen The Princess Bride before. So when we were, I was talking to my wife earlier today that we were going to do this podcast, I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do if she doesn't like Princess Bride. Like, <laughs> that might be a real game changer for our relationship. Yeah. If she was like, what, what a slog. What a boring, <laughs> empty waste of my time. <laughs> like, podcast over. Get out. Yeah. Uh, friends off. <laughs> Unfortunately, we did not go six for six or zero for six. But 
we're close enough that we're, we're not going to be fighting. We're going <laughs> to part friends here today. Yay. <laughs> let's, let's start an agreement. In sixth place, I do put Clash of the Titans. Do I think it's a bad movie? No. Yeah. Uh, I think the reasons to like the movie are almost more historical. Like, uh, yeah. As an appreciator of fantastic film, this movie deserves to be recognized. The special effects are incredible, and I still think they are... To me, they hold up today. You're not fooled by it. You know you're watching a model that's being moved one frame at a time. But that in itself, that tactile handmade quality, the same thing that I complimented in Labyrinth, I just love about this movie. And it's something that has not been replaced by CGI. There are things that CGI undeniably will do better than stop motion. But other things that just don't feel as... I don't feel the love. Yep. So uh, as much as it ranks last, this entire list is full of fantastic movies. In fifth place, heartbreakingly, I put the intensely melancholy (laughs) Where the Wild Things Are. Not because I don't love the movie, but because the movie breaks my heart. (laughs) Because it is so sad and so, like, heavy. It takes, like... The sad scene that you get towards the end of Labyrinth or, you know, some of these other spirited away, those that that moment of realization that you have to let go of the child that you were, mm-hmm. that's this whole movie. That yeah. the whole movie lives in that moment. Yeah. And you feel it in your stomach and your heart as you're watching the movie. <laughs> and as beautiful as it is, and as much as you can be wowed by the special effects, which we barely mentioned really, like it's a, true, the whole yeah. movie is almost a, one amazing special effect sequence, <laughs> at least when he's in the Wild Things universe. Yeah. Um, but because it's one of those things that I'll have to visit every few years or like when my kids are old enough to get it, I would look forward to watching it with them and seeing them appreciate it. But like, <laughs> it's just not one that's going to get dusted off the shelf as often. And, and I respect it a lot. I hate that it's in fifth place. Stardust is in fourth place. I will. Uh, that's a fun, energetic fantasy romp. And even if it doesn't turn out to be as respected and regarded as some of these other ones, I think that as an inter- piece of entertainment, keep the popcorn yeah. going, it's going to appreciate to a wide audience. I think, yeah. you know, you can watch this with your family at the holidays when you're everybody's sitting together. and Most people will be pleased by this. Yeah. No one's going to, you know, play the artistic, pretentious wankery card that some people, I can understand being rubbed the wrong way by where the wild things are. I, I think Stardust is a fairly safe bet. Yeah. But because it's a safe bet, it didn't rank as, as high as some of the other ones. And then the top three, which Jesus wept, was really hard. Like, like <laughs> in third place, somehow, I put Labyrinth. Today, I put Labyrinth in third place. But again, if we were doing this podcast tomorrow, or if we did it yesterday, maybe Labyrinth was number two. The only one that I feel rock solid confident about, really, at the top three is my number one. But I'm giving number three to Labyrinth. I don't know, like, like I say, I guess the the scene in the the, the globe. <laughs> My one complaint that I had about the movie, even when I was a kid, I didn't like that sequence. And even as an adult now, it is the one point in the movie where I feel like I feel everything slow down. Yeah. But this is a quibble. This is this is me looking really hard yeah. <laughs> to find something to Isn't say. It nice so. to have that luxury. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Number two, Spirited Away, because of the 
visual imagination of the movie. It's unprecedented. I think it might be my favorite Miyazaki movie, but I think it, I like him enough that someday I might just sit down and watch all the Miyazaki movies <laughs> and like really try and get get deep into it and figure that shit out because tremendous artist, tremendous fantasist, great story, great visuals, and the most unique movie of the list. Yeah. And with the list that has Where the Wild Things on it, that, that that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah, number one is The Princess Bride. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> As you wish. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much, yeah. I, I, I love The Princess Bride. I saw it at a young age. It connected to me. It's one of the first movies that I really get. Like, I really appreciated. That's That was a good film. I would yep. have thought to myself as a kid, even before I had like an understanding, like as far as I'm concerned, the, the shrieking eels were real, right? They had eels in the water and they shot it with real eels. <laughs> yeah. I remember <laughs> being really young and thinking uh, I really liked a certain performance. I think it was The Three Amigos or something like that. Uh, I really thought that the guy who played the villain was funny and I thought he was a good actor and I was, it's too bad he's dead. <laughs> even though somehow I could understand in my head that he was an actor he died in the movie yeah, so I guess that's bad. it he <laughs> spent another movie he spent his death on that movie it was funny though so. one take <laughs> um, yeah no we didn't agree but what a fantastic list of movies oh, yeah. and at the end of the day I just I recommend all of them and especially the top three uh, the different day different Sentimentally, I think I went into it thinking, okay, Princess Bride's number one. Let's figure out the rest of the list. But the whole list, rock solid. Yeah, I'm like, that was a hard list. Good luck, NBC. Thank you. And thank you for having me again. Thank you for making time because I know you're, you're right, <laughs> at, right at the wire. We got you just in the nick of yeah, time. Like... Big love, Jen. Thank you. And so ends another episode of Rank and Review. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Thank you so much, Jen, for being here for another episode of Rank and Review. British Columbia is lucky to have you. Saskatchewan is unlucky to lose you. Um, I thought that was a really strong bunch of movies, and it was a tough rank. But if you want to give me some feedback, you can do so. You can write me at rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. If you have some feedback for Jen, let me know. I will pass it on her way. Check out the Rank and Review website at rankandreview.ca. I, as always, am your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons, and I appreciate your ears. If you were to tell that other movie friend in your life about the show, you'd be doing me a real solid.